Welcome back, everybody. This is Domination Station, and I'm your host, DJ Renaissance. Thank you for joining us. Today, we'll be talking with Alejandra Tali of Veggie Mijas, an organization working for food justice and worker justice located right here in Los Angeles. This interview is part of our ongoing series looking into building sustainable communities through mutual aid. That being said, it's time. Let's talk real talk on Domination Radio. I'm doing good. Thank you for asking. Um, just like all of you, I'm here at home adjusting. I think I've gotten to the point where it's not, I guess it's not really adjusting anymore. I'm just kind of just out of habit now, kind of just waking up and going two feet from my bed to work. <laughs> I work for Veggie Mijas. Um, we are a vegan nonprofit. Um, we amplify black and brown creators in the vegan space. We also create a more um, intersectional dialogue when we talk about veganism, and we bring that to communities for them to feel welcome. Um, we focus our work mainly on food justice and environmental justice, um, but we also have a really big focus on decolonizing your diet and really getting back to your roots um, in terms of food that nourishes you, feeds you, um, the way that before the word vegan was even coined. Um, so we really shine light on that perspective as well. Um, but yeah, that's mainly our whole focus. And I'm the LA chapter organizer for Veggie Mijas, um, along with two other um, two other amazing people. Uh, but yeah, that's what I work for. Um, what do you mean by decolonizing your diet? Yeah, so I think it's recognizing that um, when you decolonize your diet, you're going back to how foods were viewed um, before colonization. So um, like the number one thing I can think of is like quinoa. So now quinoa, I feel like a lot of people look at it as a, you know, like a specialty item or a specialty grain that's served in fancy restaurants, like vegan restaurants. But really it was a food from Peru that was denied to the indigenous people. Um, uh, like a lower class food. Um, something that I learned um, when I was learning about decolonizing your diet is when cattle was brought over from the colonizers, that's when, you know, heart disease started going up and diabetes started going up. Um, and that indigenous people, they were, they sustained themselves by cooking food that they grew. And when the colonizers did come over, they took that food and called it a lesser than food. And not only dehumanized themselves the way that they were eating, but they wanted to get away with all the food that they were eating as well and bring in all the cattle. So I think recognizing that and how that's personified now today and cooking your own food, the food that you know was taken away from Latinx people from the beginning and cooking with that and reconnecting with that, I think um, is, what, is what I mean when we say decolonized food. So I became, I was vegetarian um, in 2011 and I've been like involved in animal activism since then. Um, but I had gone to this specific event where uh, I don't know, I don't remember who organized it, but um, they were very, very aggressive to the people. They were like besaging people outside of supermarkets, um, just not the very aggressive way of promoting veganism. Um, and I found that um, I really wanted it to be more of a holistic approach to veganism, I guess you could say, is I wanted to really understand people's reasonings. And I feel like before, um, a lot of people would see 
other people not going vegan as a moral issue and they would immediately think they were bad people and i feel like through veggie mihas we kind of give a different ethical approach to being vegan and it's not always um like a single lens issue um I feel like, like how I said before, it's not just about the animals, even though animal liberation is at the forefront of um, veganism. I do feel like when you are in Veggie Mijas, you feel more invited and it's more of a inviting environment and welcoming environment. You don't have to be 100% vegan all the time. You don't have to be a moral high vegan. I think it really recognizes that everyone goes at their own pace when transitioning to a plant-based diet um, or a vegan lifestyle. Um, so that's why I really liked it because it's there's not really a perfect outline on how to be it. You are it the way you choose to be. So that's why it went. What does mutual aid mean to you, and how does Vegemias practice mutual aid? Thank you. Um, so I feel like everyone has their own meaning when it comes to mutual aid. I feel like in my experience, you're really um, I would say you're really like exercising your natural altruistic instinct in helping people. Um, altruism is, um, it's a, it's like a selfless lifestyle. And I feel like all humans are naturally like that. And I feel like you exercise it in different ways. So I think um, something that my mom had told me is mutual aid could also be um, translated in love languages. So how do you care for other people in your own way? Um, so for me, I like to care for people by feeding them, literally. I like to practice food justice and um, tell people about vegan lifestyle and how it's approachable for everyone. Um, so I feel like mutual aid is what humans should be and can be. And I feel like it's, it really tears down this, um, this like hierarchy of people in like capitalism, I would say. Um, so I feel like mutual aid could be practiced in a lot of different forms, um, but it's really your way of selflessly helping other people. Um, and yeah, that's how I would describe mutual aid. Um, for uh, how does Veggie Me, Veggie Me has practiced mutual aid? For my chapter specifically, we focus on our community fridges, which I know that we'll talk about in a second. Um, but that's how we do it. Um, how I met Estefania is at our Halloween spooky event where um, I wanted to create a space for you know, vegan, for spooky vegans, I'd like to call it, you know, vegans that could have a good time without having to worry about like the food at the party and stuff. And I feel like mutual aid is also collective care and just creating an environment where everyone is is in a safe space, I'd say. Um, so that's how we practice it in my chapter. Uh, hello, Alejandra, nice to meet you. Hi, so, nice to meet you. So my question is, what made you go vegan? Um, so how I said earlier was I went vegetarian in 2001 or not 2001, 2011. Um, I was a freshman in high school and uh, I was in health class and we saw this um, documentary called, uh, I think it was Food Incorporated. Um, and it mainly talked about the health impact that it had on Americans and how American corporations have like just overtaken um, the animal agriculture industry and how it was affecting the Americans health-wise. But during the documentary, it showed a lot of um, the conditions that the animals were in. And that really stuck with me, kind of just the inhumane, the unethicalness of it. Um, and really just how horrible these animals were being treated. They were 100% commodified. They were treated as objects. They were confined in these horrible cages. So that really stuck with me. Um, 
So ethical wise, that's why I went vegetarian. Um, so I was vegetarian from 2011 to 2016. And in those five years, just a snowball of knowledge kept coming to me on how uh, the dairy industry and the meat industry are directly tied. They're not byproduct of one another. Um, one can't exist without the other. Um, so, and I kind of let it sit and I made myself think that it was I was doing enough by being vegetarian. And if I really wanted to be a full on animal lover, um, then I would go vegan. But then I also, um, in that knowledge, in that like five year mark, I learned just how veganism can help not only the animals, but also the workers in the slaughterhouses and the families, you know, suffering through environmental racism, things like that. And I feel like I got to the point where I have all this information in front of me and I can't just be vegetarian. So that's when I made the switch. Um, the The catalyst to the to the change though was when in 2017, when I was already about like 80% vegan, um, another documentary came out called What the Health? Um, and that really talked about how the propaganda that different corporations give um, on how meat is good for you and how diabetes, diabetes is treated and so on. So I actually challenged my dad to go vegan um, for 30 days and he did it when, but when he accepted the challenge, I went along with it and so did my mom and my sister. So past 30 days, my dad fell off, but me and my mom and my sister have been vegan ever since. So that's how I was, I finally became vegan. With you living in a Mexican household where, where most of the food is meat, what, what was it like to give that up? Um, so yeah, it was pretty difficult at first. Um, I feel like in my case, I was pretty lucky just because I do have two other family members that are vegan. So the support system is there. Um, but with a dad that's pretty traditional and then he has like a hundred member family, um, going to um, family gatherings and things like that, it was difficult. Um, I think I think the, probably the hardest part was it got to the point where I had to bring my own food to the gatherings. Um, and I know that like was really off-putting to my family that was there, but I think um, I really just had to not forget why I went vegan and I couldn't let their anger and confusion distract me on why I went vegan. Um, so, and I think my dad, um, it really does help having my dad be really understanding and open to, you know, the food that we eat and he's open to trying out the vegan alternatives that we have and we could show him that we could veganize traditional Mexican dishes. Um, so once he was very accepting of it and his family saw that it was accepting of it, they were definitely more open. It was definitely like a domino effect. Um, I still have to bring my food, my own food to this day, uh, but it definitely is a lot easier. Um, but that's how, that's how I kind of coped with it, I'd say, is you can't let that distract you on why you went vegan. So how does a community fridge work and what are the benefits of a community fridge? Yeah, so um, our community fridge, we have it located in South Central. Um, so there we, so it is mainly me where I bulk, I bulk stock it. So I'll go, I'm actually doing it this week. So what I do is I go to my farmer's market um, where everything is locally grown, everything's super inexpensive, it's fresh produce. Um, and I will buy, um, you know, the greens like kale, spinach, and lettuce. I'd buy a bunch of fruits, pro vegan protein. So I'll buy beans and tofu. Um, and me and my brother, we go and we uh, stock it. So it's inside of a library, the Southern California Library. 
Um, and in between the two weeks, um, we do have people that donate monetary donations to us. And then we also have a couple people um, that will reach out to me and say if the library is open that day and they could stop by and um, drop off some canned goods or any like pre-made meals. Um, for our community fridge specifically, um, it is on a street where there is a lot of um, houseless people, houseless folks. So I think a big emphasis on my fridge is um, having pre-made meals. Uh, like ready to go. So I'll make the effort of buying frozen burritos, um, frozen vegan meals, something that they can just microwave, um, but also uh, take in, take into account the surrounding families that are around the fridge. So I'll make sure that we have school meals. Um, and I also ask questions. Um, the Yusuf, who's the man that I work with um, at the library, he'll tell me what the community needs and I'll buy it for them. Um, so it's also just making sure, um, yeah, it's listening to the community really and what they need and what they need catered to them. Um, so that's how that's how our fridge works. So where did the community fridge idea come from and who helped you get that set up? Yeah, so um, we, so us, um, the LA chapter of Veggie Mijas, we had seen um, that the East Coast had set up a few community fridges and we had thought about it. Uh, the idea during summer of 2020, um, during the Black Lives Matter movement. And we were trying to really think, how can we give back to the community and really be hands-on with our activism, but still tying in our message with food? Um, so a friend of mine uh, DM'd me on Instagram and she said, oh, I saw that um, the East Coast were setting up community fridges. If you uh, set up one in LA, I'd love to help. And I kind of was like, oh yeah, a community fridge would be perfect. Um, so right away, uh, me and my two co-organizers, we did a call and we thought about the different places that we could set up the community fridge. Um, I do think logistic wise, we did get pretty lucky just because uh, me and my co-organizer, we had worked with the library um, the year before. So I reached out to Yusuf and something that um, I also wanted to take into account is um, I didn't want to kind of uh, just go into a community and like take up their resources. Um, I didn't want to take up space in a community. Um, so I want, really wanted to make sure that I worked with a community center that was already doing the work and kind of just tell them, how can we help? Like, let us, let us help you. So um, we messaged the library and he said, we have a community fridge or we have a fridge here in our break room. You guys could use that. Um, so that's how we set it up. And then, um, Starting there, at first we did have um, like a volunteer form because it is like in a building, it's a little bit hidden. Um, I did have like a volunteer form where people could go in like time slots, but I feel like a community fridge is putting the trust in the community, putting the trust in the community that we could feed ourselves. So I kind of just let it open and people come in when they can, they drop off food. And I like that there's an, an amenity to it. Like there's, you don't know who's going, you don't know who's picking up the food. And I feel like that really puts a trust in the community. And um, so that's how, that's how we set it up. Love that. Where else in the world is the idea relevant that you could learn more? Yeah, so um, I think a really good example of mutual aid is um, looking at indigenous communities in Mexico. Um, so the first one is the Zapatistas, and um, they really practiced um, this concept called neo-Zapotismo, uh, which um, it's they really focus on 
collective care and mutual aid. That's how they run their community. And they have this, um, they describe it as not an ideology or um, something that people can follow. They describe it more as an instinct. And it's this intuition that um, humans can, we could create a new world where we could sustain ourselves. I actually wrote some notes because I really liked that question. So yeah, it, they do definitely do believe that they could create a new world. And it started in Chiapas, Mexico. Um, and that's how, from the very like first question, like before the word vegan was even coined, indigenous communities have been growing their own food. They've been feeding themselves. They really focus on collective care. And I feel like they're the perfect example of having mutual aid as their concrete form of life where they make the government obsolete. Um, and they really they could really show us how they thrive in that way. I feel like our community fridges and the different ones is a, like a microscopic version of that. And I feel like, you know, we don't have to wait for our local governments or things like that to provide any source of um, any source of aid or help when the people ourselves could do it as well. Um, so that's definitely somewhere you could learn more. And then I also believe that the Black Panthers had um, a free lunch program, I believe. And in that, some, in that sense, they took care of their youth in that way. Um, they, you know, got together and they created free meals for them. They passed out free meals for them. Um, and that's also another um, another way that you could learn about it, too. So how did you, so how did you team up with Veggie Mijas chapters? And also, how does your organization work? Yeah, so um, all of our chapters, um, we all have like our own different mission. Um, I do think that is it. I think the New York chapter might help a fridge, like they already might help an existing fridge. Um, but teaming up with other Regimi has chapters, I feel like we're all. I don't think we've actually done that yet. Um, actually, like team up and do a, a collaboration like that. Um, but. I do think during the early stages of the pandemic, um, we do have like a whole national event where everyone that in the chapters could view in like an animal sanctuary or do like a movie screening or something like that. Um, the LA chapter hasn't partnered up with another chapter, but that is something I really want to do um, in a post-COVID world. Um, but in our organization works um, in chapter organizing. So I believe we have about 10 active chapters. Um, in a pre-COVID world, we would create events monthly. Um, so how Stephanie said earlier that we created a Halloween event where I just wanted to be with other vegans for Halloween. I wanted to be with other BIPOC vegans where we could share vegan snacks and just have a, a creative space together. Um, and then we also have like farm sanctuary trips. We also have, um, in the beginning of 2020, I held um, a poster making um, workshop where we would make posters for the Women's March, but I also talked about the missing and murdered indigenous women. Um, so I definitely always want there to be like an educational aspect to our chapter, but that's how each chapter goes. Each chapter has their own mission and their own focus and they organize their events as well. Um, but that's how the LA chapter works. What do you think makes being vegan challenging for the community? So I think when I was, um, first going into Vajimihas, I definitely think the most challenging is the way that it's communicated to the community. I feel like how I said earlier that a lot of 
um, like mainstream vegan activists and mainstream vegan uh, nonprofits, they definitely see, you know, black and brown communities now going vegan as a moral issue instead of recognizing it as a, a systemic and a capitalist issue and really recognizing that their ability to be a full, healthy, whole plant-based vegan is out of their control. Yes, I mean, they do have the access to buy fruits and vegetables. We also have to realize, you know, how fresh is that food, how they're physically able to get to that food. And I think it's, it's. I feel like a lot of mainstream vegans dismiss their rights and invalidate their humanity when going vegan. And I feel like they really only see it through a single issue lens and don't uh, realize that capitalism is the issue and that all of these forces that are against them is what needs to be unraveled for them to even think about going vegan. And I definitely think that the way Los Angeles um, has coined veganism, it's definitely more of a health trendy thing. It's, um, it's a type of consumption where it's a very individualistic and it's not an ethical approach to veganism at all. So that's, I think, the biggest challenge. And that's why I do love working with Veggie Mijas is that we create that dialogue where we're not only taking into account animals liberation, but we're also taking out taking in human rights and feminist rights and work farm workers and really shining a light on the environmental racism that um, these people go through. Um, so I think once we shine a light on that, they'll see that they could be vegan in a different ethical way that mainstream vegans have put it. Um, so that's, I think, something that could be worked on. But I do think I do think a lot of people are starting to work on that. Um, and I do see it getting better in the future, for sure. It's definitely a lot better than it was a year ago, I'd say. What do you think advocating for animals and workers is important? I definitely, um, I really, really love this question because I feel like that's what being vegan should be about. I definitely do think um, being vegan, it's a philosophical, ethical idea where it's not just for the animals and being vegan can be a step to, towards a new world, a new like transformational world of where we could all care for ourselves, but also advocate in the liberation of more than just one thing. I feel like single issue activism really misses the mark when they say, um, you know, the workers' rights aren't important, like it's all about the animals. But um, I think recognizing that the slaughterhouse workers and these farmers, they're, they don't have a choice. Like it's not if they had to say they wouldn't be in that position, I'm sure that they take absolutely no pleasure in having to kill animals, um, millions of animals every day. So I think it's important that we have to take in the conditions that they're working under, the pay that they're working under, the the taxing of their energy and their labor that they have to go under. And um, I feel like it really unravels the moral issue and the root issue of why being vegan is so important is to liberate all human beings and non-animal, all hu humans and non-human animal, animals under um, exploitation and um, exploitation and inhumane conditions and that stretches to the workers and for the animals. So I think that's really, really important and that's what veganism should be about. It's about liberation of all beings. When do you go buy your vegan food? How do you afford it? And what kind of food do you cook? Yeah, so this was actually my probably my favorite question just because um, you definitely learn how to expand your cooking knowledge when you do go vegan. So I definitely think you you can make veganism an expensive like specialty um, like aspect of your life, or it could just be very very inexpensive. So I feel like um, when you do 
decide to go vegan, it's best to really invest in spices and oils and vinegars and things like that, as opposed to buying vegan specialty items all the time. I feel like when you really invest in your cooking, um, it's way more, it's way easier because you learn how to just cook with vegetables and it becomes more affordable down, down, um, down the line. And I feel like it's easier to stay vegan that way. I feel like when you just stick to vegan specialty items, it, it could be very, very expensive. But I feel like you're, how I said at the very beginning, you're decolonizing your diet. So you're going back to, you know, the food that people have grown all their lives. So that's definitely how we afford it. Me, my mom, and my sister, we definitely are, we try to stick to more of a vegetable based. I mean, of course, we'll still have like a Beyond Burger here and there. But I feel like the reason we, we were able to stay vegan for almost four years now is by cooking a lot more and really experimenting with different things. So I um, actually go buy my food at the farmer's market where I buy the food for our community fridge. It's like a little diamond bar a farmer's market where local vendors will come in and bring in their food. So we go there and yeah, we just buy all of our produce. One thing that we had to get constantly is vegan sour cream because um, our family, we eat beans and rice like all the time. So vegan sour cream is definitely something that I had to find. Um, but th- thankfully, we have a grocery store that carries a really good brand. It's Tofuti if anyone's interested to like the best vegan sour cream. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank um, you. And I learned so much and um, <laughs> everyone I'm sure did. And I hope you did too. So thank you. Um, thank you. Yeah, this so- was so amazing. I love doing this. Thank you so much. It was so nice meeting you. It was nice meeting all of you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed our discussion with Alejandra Tali of Veggie Mijas, Los Angeles. Listen to more podcasts from our series on Ecosystems of L.A., Mutual Aid and Communities of Care, right here on Domination Radio. This is your host, DJ Renaissance, saying join us again and let's talk real talk. This project was made possible with the support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Visit www.calhum.org. Again, that's www.calhum.org. Thank you for listening.